and welcome to Forensic Minds. Today we have our fifth episode of Forensic Minds. I cannot believe we are this far through already. So if you have just tuned in a little bit about what this podcast is. So it is aimed at those studying to be forensic psychologists and early career forensic psychologists or those with an interest in the area of forensic psychology and are curious as to what it actually is forensic psychologists do. Now, before we begin, most importantly, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the lands on which I am speaking to you and you are listening today. For me, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. So my name is Madison Riachi. I am one of the hosts of the podcast. I'm a current doctoral candidate at Swinburne University and the Centre for Forensic Behavioural Science here in Melbourne and studying the Doctor of Clinical and Forensic Psychology through those organisations. I am also the student representative on the Australian Psychological Society College of Forensic Psychologists National Committee. Now, I won't be hosting this episode of the podcast. Rather, we will have Ms. Mariam Yunan, who will be hosting once again. So, Mariam is currently a Master's of Forensic Psychology and PhD candidate at the University of New South Wales. Her research is examining the superficial cues that jurors rely upon when evaluating expert evidence. She is also currently completing a placement at New South Wales Justice and Forensic Mental Health Network with the Community Forensic Mental Health Service. Miriam is passionate about how forensic psychology can contribute to improving the lives of those involved in the legal system, as well as ways in which it can improve the legal system itself. Miriam is currently the student representative for the APS College of Forensic Psychologists, New South Wales Division. And our guest for today, we are very excited to have Miss Caroline here with us. Caroline trained and qualified as a forensic psychologist in the UK before relocating to Australia in 2012. After several years consulting for other Sydney-based practices, Caroline has set up her own private practice, primarily providing psychological reports to the courts and other decision-making bodies. Caroline was previously a supervisor at the UNSW Forensic Psychology Clinic. In 2019, Caroline commenced her PhD, focusing on the area of protective factors in assistance of male sexual offenders. Caroline has been on the committee of the New South Wales section of the CFP since 2017. So I will pass over to Caroline and Miriam. All right, thank you, Caroline, for taking the time to sit and talk with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really, I'm really actually glad for us to be having a chat, especially with the extensive um, experience that you've had so far. So, I mean, could you walk us through what has been your um, career progression so far as a forensic psychologist? Absolutely. So um, I you probably pick up from my accent. Um, I'm um, from the UK originally, and that's actually mm-hmm. where I went to university and qualified to be a forensic psychologist. So and did my first almost decade of, of work as well. So um, and then I've been in Australia for almost the same length of time in terms mm-hmm. of my working career. So it's kind of a half and half split. So in the UK, um, 
when I trained, things were a little bit different in terms of the, the training programs. So I just did an undergraduate degree in psychology and went straight into a master's degree in forensic psychology. Um, that was a year full time, um, but it didn't actually have any placements at all. Um, okay. Yeah. And that's, so that's quite different from how things are now. Um, but that's how it was then. And then you mm-hmm. you got a job basically, and you did your your <laughs> you did your hands on training on the job. So wow, wow, yeah. So my uh, first job was with the prison service in the UK, and I spent um, all of my time in the UK working for the prison service in different roles. Um, so you, back then, um, the equivalent of the APS was the was the BPS, the British Psychological Society, mm-hmm. and you actually did your qualification. Um, to become a forensic psychologist through the BPS. Uh, so you, ha- you had your master's degree and then you did, um, uh, you had to demonstrate uh, training and development uh, in workplace um, settings and then submit case studies and that kind of thing. And that's how you became a chartered forensic psychologist. And it was only later on that the equivalent of APRA um, developed in the UK and then you became registered through that organization. So back in the day when I trained, um, yeah, it was the British Psychological Society that I became accredited with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then so in terms of the work that I did in the UK, uh, I started out working in um, offending behavior programs. Um, So I guess manualized programs. Uh, Initially, um, my first job was just uh, delivering a program. And then I moved into a treatment manager role. So um, doing the clinical supervision of other people in the, in the same prison who were delivering the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess there were, I had sort of varied roles um, in my second job. I worked in a high secure prison um, that was also servicing the local courts. So we had a real range of um, clients in in that setting mm-hmm. um, and it also had um, something that uh, I don't know what they refer to it now as in the UK but certainly back in the day it was referred to as uh, a prison within prison so oh, okay. <laughs> it was something called a close supervision center and it was a system of um, units that housed what they considered to be the most dangerous prisoners. So uh, I guess um, individuals who just didn't do well in mainstream locations and had committed very serious violent crimes within mainstream prison, uh, they were then moved into these these very small, very secure and very highly controlled units. Um, And I worked in those units for some time, uh, developing and delivering um, a violence reduction program mm-hmm. that we piloted and, and ran. Um, and then my role from there, um, th- that was a very intense period. And I was involved in that for uh, two or three years. And I really mm-hmm. felt like I needed to do something different after that. I was working with highly, I guess, highly dangerous, highly psychopathic offenders, which yeah. um, can cloud the way you look at things if you continue to work in that environment I think so I then moved yeah so I then moved to um, the program's um, headquarters and was involved in developing an updated version of what was then the enhanced thinking skills program Um, so it was a cognitive behavioral program for general offending behaviors Um, what I did there was it helped develop 
the new the new program and also then was heavily involved in the rollout of that so training staff in prison and um, probation settings throughout um, England and Wales Mm -hmm. and also providing clinical support to um, the treatment uh, managers of that program Um, so mainly psychologists but also other other staff Um, So I did that for a couple of years. And then um, the final place I was in before I came to Australia was I was, um, I headed up a psychology team uh, in a a lower security prison. So a C category prison, which is basically Mm -hmm. lower security before it gets to open conditions um, of a a prison that was um, mainly uh, made up of um, offenders who had committed sexual offences. Um, but while I was there, we actually um, built and opened a Young Offenders Institute on the same site. So that was interesting. Mm. It ended up being a very diverse population there. Um, so I worked, uh, as I said, I headed up the team there. So uh, my job there was probably less hands-on as a psychologist, more managerial, more supervision of other psychologists, particularly psychologists in training, mm-hmm. um, a part of the senior management team, and I guess looking at things at a more strategic level. Um, than being uh, I did do some hands-on assessment and intervention um, with our clientele there as well but not as much Mm -hmm. and then uh, and then I came to Australia and um, I guess took a very different uh, route in terms of uh, what I do here so I've worked um, in private practice predominantly in Australia Um, yeah I also spent a period of about two years working at the UNSW um, clinic as supervisor there, um, supervising master's students. Mm-hmm. Um, and more recently, after um, I took a period of maternity leave, I've come back to the workforce and have actually opened my own small private practice. So currently, my role is mainly doing assessments um, for court, um, for um, DCJ, um, and um, things like um, the um, civil and administrative uh, civil and administrative tribunal. Mm-hmm. It's a um, <laughs> so um, yeah, mainly assessment based currently. Um, right, interesting. Yeah, but since I've been in Australia, I have done quite a lot of treatment, uh, both on an individual and group basis in the community as well. Yeah, um, and worked with um, clientele that have been. I guess, serving community sentences, mainly through the UNSW clinic. Uh, So I feel like I've had, um, in some ways, um, in the last few years, gone back to working with um, a similar population to that, which I started out with, only these ones were in the community and not in custody. So it's been sort of a complete cycle, I feel. Yeah, I mean, it really sounds like a very diverse experience in terms of, yeah, that mix of community and custodial, but also the fact that now you've worked as a forensic psychologist in two different countries. I mean, in terms of, you know, you being in UK and working as a forensic psychologist there and you coming here and working as a forensic psychologist here, you know, have you noticed any differences in working in, you know, Mm. Australia versus UK? Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting question. And um, yeah, I mean, when I first came to Australia, I wasn't, we weren't planning on staying 
um, indefinitely. So I wasn't sure whether I was going to work initially, but I kind of put the wheels in motion to get my qualifications recognized just in case, you know, we did stay longer or I did want to work. And I didn't immediately actually go into forensic psychology um, in Australia, but um, the process uh, just to get qualifications um, recognized was was quite time consuming, but also interesting because uh, mm. I spoke to lots of different people to get advice of what to do and, you know, what to expect. Um, and it's actually uh, from a lot of people's experiences, I was told quite notoriously difficult to trade in the UK and then get equivalency in Australia, but also mm. vice versa. I've heard lots of kind of horror stories mm-hmm. from people who have trained in Australia and then tried to get equivalency in the UK. But that really wasn't my experience um, other than the time it took, which I guess was just for administrative reasons. Um, it was quite a smooth transition to get my qualifications recognized Um, and then I do remember as I first stepped into kind of a role of um, working as a forensic psychologist you know my first day wondering how similar it would be how different it would be um, you know whether I was sufficiently prepared for this Um, but actually it's just super similar Um, everything that you learn uh, is really transferable uh, in terms of your core skills. Um, it, it's so similar, in fact, that when I go into prison settings here, the colours on the walls are the same as the prisons in the UK and the furniture is largely the same. <laughs> so it's literally so similar. I mean, and the major difference um, is obviously um, some cultural um, considerations, uh, particularly mm. with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, yeah. That Obviously, I had, had no experience of working uh, with those groups before. Um, so that, that that's probably been my biggest learning curve in Australia is to ensure that, uh, I guess, I'm um, approaching my work with with those cultures in mind and, and even just first interacting with people from those cultures that I, you know, I hadn't had any experience of interacting with before um, was my biggest um, learning, I would say. Um, and I guess from that perspective, just keeping an open mind and, and approaching things in a very much, a, you know, I, I, I really don't know a lot about you or your culture, please educate me has been um, my approach and it seems to have served me quite well. Um, and yeah, it's, yeah there's been no there's been no I guess serious challenges from transferring from the UK to Australia Mm, yeah it seems like it seems like a big leap but yeah but based on what you're saying it seems like you know just having that you know curious learner mindset is what will get you across the line basically yeah I mean the biggest the biggest difference in terms of training is in the UK you train Um, in your particular psychological discipline from the outset Mm -hmm. so you don't you don't qualify as a generalist and then specialize and that's the biggest point of difference that you know I've in the UK I have forever been a forensic psychologist I never qualified as a generalist Um, and certainly in the UK if there's any real clinical issues you refer to a clinical psychologist um, is a forensic psychologist at least uh whereas that's quite different here in australia that you you know generalist psychologists are equipped with um skills to diagnose and and treat clinical issues and obviously you still have clinical psychologists who are more specialized in that area but but that that's a point of difference between the training i would say yeah right right interesting and um i'm 
I'm guessing, would you have had to have learned um, about the legal systems or was there any, did you find there were any differences in terms of the legal system and how it interacts with, you know, forensic psychologists? Uh, look, I think the probably the biggest learning about the legal system was that I practiced only in custodial settings in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. So was coming from it very much from that perspective. Um, whereas uh, I've worked in community settings in Australia. And so writing court, uh, court reports, for example, I hadn't done that in the UK. I'd always written, I'd written probation, um, parole reports, but not court reports. So um, it would have been a big change had I gone from doing what I was doing in the UK to doing what I'm doing here but in the UK it still would have been a similar change I think and yeah. would have had to have I'd gone through similar learning um, so it's it's difficult to say how much of my learning was influenced by the fact I'd moved countries and how much was influenced just by the fact I'd changed settings um, but I, I got a lot of training on the job um, I got great supervision from the the companies that I worked with um, and very mm -hmm. experienced psychologists in those companies, including uh, Chris Lennings, who I know you had on here um, yeah. quite recently. So Chris uh, was one of the directors at one of the um, companies that I worked with quite early on um, right. as I got here. So the experience of Chris and, and, and colleagues like that who are so experienced was invaluable in terms of getting up to speed uh, mm. with the legal system. Mm, well, it's such a small world, isn't it? Indeed. And, and you know, um, you know, of course, what was what's really like sh struck me with your experience is, and you know, we've sort of been touching on it already, is that, you know, working in a community sort of setting and working in a custodial setting, and I guess that's also a point of curiosity for me. But I'm also sure it's a point of curiosity for a lot of, you know, mm. early curious psychologists and, you know, forensic psychology students who are currently in training and are wondering about, you know, what the difference between the two are. So from your yeah. experience, what have you found to be the differences between working in a community setting versus working in a custodial setting? Yeah, and um, there are there's so many differences. I think, um, and, and I think both, have uh, real advantages and obviously some challenges associated with them. Um, mm -hmm. Let's start with working in a in a custodial setting. Um, mm -hmm. as, as a newly qualified psychologist, I think there are so many advantages of, of working in a custodial setting, where you are, um, you know, you're working in a in a job that uh, you're getting you know, your salary is based on your, on your, your working hours and you, know, mm -hmm. you work a normal working week. You don't need to be concerned for being paid on product, which is often something that particularly um, uh, pr private practitioners, uh, that, that's how that, you know, that's how it works. You get paid for the thing you've produced, whether it be a report or a training session or whatever. Right. Um, so, you know, how fast you work is, is an issue when you're a private practitioner in the community, but in a custodial setting, you're not, that's not how it works. So you have plenty of learning time. You have plenty of time to, um, be reading and making sure that you're expanding your, your knowledge, mm -hmm. um, you've got so many colleagues around you who are invariably more experienced than you when you're first starting out. Um, and it's just, 
it's just a really good learning environment um, from that perspective. Also, you'll be working within a, you know, a multidisciplinary team in a custodial setting, um, but you're all in the same place. So yeah, again, right, yeah. you know, there's that ability to learn from colleagues who are in different disciplines to you, who, who could be sitting in a, you know, a couple of desks over from you. So I think that's, that's really important as a, as a new psychologist. Um, You've, your, your clientele are kind of there, so mm. you don't have a lot of the issues that can come with working in the community that, you know, particularly with forensic clients, um, there can be a lot of things that cause barriers to them attending psychology sessions within the community. So when you're in a custodial setting, a lot of those barriers are removed in terms of, you know, being able to physically get there, um, and be organized enough to attend so that can be advantageous I think over um, a community setting at at times Mm -hmm. Um, there but there are a number of challenges of working in custodial settings and one is just the 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 setting itself I mean I don't uh, my as I explained I'd never actually um done any kind of placements before I got my first job as a forensic psychologist Mm -hmm. or a trainee forensic psychologist so work walking into a jail for the first time was very confronting I have to say Um, and that I would say is one of the biggest challenges of working in a custodial setting that it is constantly a confronting environment Um, you know it's not I don't think anywhere else in your career as a forensic psychologist is the power imbalance feel so enormous mm-hmm. and you're trying to work in a therapeutic manner where there's a clear power imbalance you're walking around with keys and yeah and your clientele are people who are locked in with those keys and I think that's a big um a big challenge to overcome and and to manage and to manage sensitively and appropriately whilst also maintaining appropriate security uh, which is also important in that environment and just yeah. I guess walking that that line between uh, safety, security, and and uh, developing therapeutic rapport. So I'd that's say that's right, the biggest yeah. challenging in, in that situation. Mm, right. And I think you also asked me how does that compare to to community based settings? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. As I said, uh, well, I alluded to. I, I think there can be lots of ch- challenges just getting people to the sessions in the community. Um, you know life comes up people are disqualified from driving um, Mm -hmm. people have multiple responsibilities Um, they might have you know ongoing clinical issues uh, drug-related issues things like that that all prevent them getting to appointments and so that's the biggest challenge I think in the community is actually getting face-to-face with clients um, and then regularly enough to um, make some real progress, I guess. Uh, that's that's probably the, the biggest challenge. Um, yeah, mm, in a yeah. nutshell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's so valuable to actually, you know, have someone like yourself who actually has had experience in both of these settings because I think you're best poised to actually speak to those differences. And I actually, you know, totally agree with, that the particularly the challenge of a custodial setting and that balance between yeah being therapeutic but also just the sort of environment that comes the environment that's linked to a correctional setting to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I mean, in terms of, you know, I'm not sure if you would recall, but your typical day working as a forensic psychologist in these settings, do you, you know, I guess, you know, there are going to be, you know, students like ourselves who are super mm. interested in what it is that, you know, forensic psychologists do with their day in, you know, these correctional settings to begin mm. with. Yeah. And I guess, you know, the number of different roles I've, I've held it, it my days can look quite different but Mm. typically if you think about going into uh, a custodial environment your day starts with a security check you've got to get through security to get into work and you know even that in itself I think is it becomes the norm obviously but when you first start out that in itself is is quite confronting Mm. Um, and depending on what level of um, custodial setting you're in depends on the different types of security checks you have you know the the less secure the setting the I guess the less time it takes to get in and out and the less protocol there is around being checked Um, but certainly when I think back to working in high secure jail you know things even down to you couldn't take unsealed water bottles into the jail with liquid in you know it had to be empty or sealed and you know that's you you just don't really think about that when you um get up and go to the office for for your your day job right exactly Um, now you know working in a in a community setting I don't have to think about what kind of water I'm taking or you know that kind of thing so um, yeah. th- that's an interesting aspect, I guess, to the day, just in terms of being organized and getting yourself getting yourself ready and prepared. And then mm. typically your day, um, uh, when I was delivering um, offending behavior programs, the day would look like getting in, um, prepping for the program. You've normally prepped most of your prep previous the day before or whatever for the session, but just doing any last minute prep, getting your room ready, um, getting your your group into the room. So you have to, you're very much dictated to by the custodial environment. So there'll be certain times that they call movement times when um, your clients can move from um, the, you know, their residential environment to wherever you're running the program. Um, and so many things can interfere with that <clears throat> during the day. If they have appointments for other things, often they take priority. If there's some kind of security incident, um, you know, everything runs slow. Um, mm. If for whatever reason there's going to be a search on the unit that they're, um, they're residing in, you know, they won't be released to get to your program. So, so many things can kind of go wrong, but hopefully you get your group in, your, in, your, in the room, you deliver your program. It's normally a couple of hours um afterwards um that's normally with a co-facilitator then afterwards you would debrief with your co-facilitator you write up your kind of clinical notes from the program uh you'd prep for your following day session so that would typically be kind of a morning's work and then Mm -hmm. in the afternoon obviously depending on what other things tasks you're working on at that time you might have you know a, a session of two of individual therapy with um with clients you might you might be working on an assessment you know you might go out and interview a client or you might be working on a report um you might have your own supervision so obviously um maintaining the appropriate amount of supervision from someone experienced is important so you know you might have that in a group environment it might be individual supervision so that might happen in the afternoon mm-hmm. um you know, you could be working on research. Um, there's lots of things within the custodial environment that psychologists can contribute to in terms of things like anti-bullying surveys, um, you know, violence reduction surveys of, that mm-hmm. are based more on a, 
custom on an environment than an individual that sort of thing so there's a whole range of different tasks you might be doing um yeah. of an afternoon um yeah so it's pretty varied I would say is the the main key thing in a custodial environment your your tasks are varied but very much the running of your tasks are very much dictated by the security and the protocols of the prison and what's happening in the prison at that time mm -hmm. um, so you know things like if suddenly a large number of prison officers um, call in sick so they can't um, open up the prison and then you you know you can't have access to um, your clients and that kind of thing so I think looking back that was that was one of the things I remember the most is um, your day could be so heavily influenced by the requirements of the uh, the kind of the security elements of a custodial environment yeah yeah it really um, does sound like you know a typical day um is like that really there isn't a typical day is there like it's more like you know much very much diversity in each sort of in each day and each day can look very different and I also feel like that's what makes um working as a forensic psychologist so interesting absolutely absolutely and also I think there's so many different roles you can hold as a psycho forensic psychologist within a custodial environment and um, you know, I, 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 have to, I haven't worked in custodial environments in Australia, but I imagine it's pretty much the same as in the UK that, you know, I look back at how many different types of roles I had um, and the variety within those. And, you know, that was all working for the prison service. You know, there's just mm. so much option. And so you were asking me, you know, as a, as a new psychologist, what might be the benefits? And I would say that's also a benefit that you can really you can get a lot of experiences and a real breadth of experiences. Um, that you might not expect you might think you know a, a prison psychologist does you know a very set regimented routine of, of things but actually it's really varied mm. and I feel like that's like we've really been unintentionally talking about the rewarding aspects of working in these correction settings so you know one is you know the clientele but plus you know, you've get you got that working week, and you get the experience of supervision. You have the ability to do research. You have the ability to do like individual and group therapy. So, as you know, I feel like what I'm hearing is that you can really develop a very holistic skill set when you're working in a correction setting. But also, you know, I just recall us talking about you know that challenge of being therapeutic in mm -hmm. a correction setting, and so. You know, with that, but also I'm curious about whether there have been any other challenges in working in these settings mm. and just how you, you went about managing them so that you were able to do the best work you could possibly do. Yeah, I think that's a really, it's a really great question. And I'm trying to really think back and put myself in my, you know, back where I, when I first started out. And I think, yeah, you know, there's, as I said, prison environments are unique. Um, mm. And the staff that work in prison environments are also unique. Um, and, you know, some of those staff will be really supportive of therapeutic inter interventions and the idea of working with psychologists. And some, frankly, won't. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. I mean, I think it's the way it is in any context that some people really buy into psychology and some people really don't uh, for whatever mm -hmm. reason. Um, and as a new psychologist, you're obviously trying to develop rapport not only with your clientele, but with all your colleagues. And that's people from 
um, all sorts of disciplines and all sorts of backgrounds. Um, and it's really important, I think, to have a clear sense of your boundaries and your ethics um, and not allow yourself to perhaps be influenced by what can sometimes be um, not very healthy, uh, I guess, environments within these custodial settings. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, it's something to really think about um, when you first start out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I use an example. So someone yeah. who's actually a really good friend of mine now and has been for, gosh, a great many years now, uh, he's, he's a prison officer. Yeah, And um, I remember, like distinctly remember in my really early days going to a social event that was you know, all sorts of people were there, prison officers, psychologists, whoever. Um, and we were chatting and he was really, you know, quite detrimental about psychology and, you know, said to me, you know, what can you as a young girl coming in here tell me about working with uh, prisoners that I don't already know? And you know that I remember it really took me back um and you know it's something to to think about is how you present yourself um certainly not come across as uh you know want this idea that you might have all the answers because you don't especially when you're first starting out you have very limited answers I have to say mm-hmm. um yeah so it's about being open and you know uh, knowing your boundaries and knowing who you are, but being really open to, uh, to rolling with resistance, not only from your client group, but with people you might be working with as well and being really sensitive in how you, how you address things. And, you know, over the years, I think he, like, we are good personal friends now, but I think on a working level, um, you know, we were able to develop rapport and whilst he still might not buy into everything that psychologists do, um, just by being respectful and explaining yourself and how, why you're doing things is a way to offer some insight. And equally, I might not be supportive of all the uh, ways in which he, you know, the tactics he has to, to do his job, but I understand from his exp- explanations, you know, why he chooses to do it that way and, you know, the benefits of that. So, yeah, I think um, developing respectful relationships with colleagues can be challenging in prison environments, but is also key uh, and just, yeah, just so important to kind of, yeah, how things, how things pan out for you. Um, mm. Yeah, but there's just that that's something I think when you first start working is that is one of the most challenging things is trying to build relationships um and also really knowing your own boundaries around you know what level of personal information that you want to give your clients um whether that's any different within a custodial environment thinking about how you're going to answer questions that are personal um, but maintain therapeutic rapport mm. um making sure making sure you're maintaining all the you'll be trained um, from a security point of view, making sure you're um, maintaining you know, those ethics and those principles as well. Um, so yeah, th- those are the, some of the early challenges um, that, that yeah. you face that are, I think, environment specific and not even really anything to do with you. You know, your your job as a psychologist. It's nothing to do with the therapy you're actually delivering. It's the stuff that goes around the therapy. So, it, yeah, in many ways, is quite a complex job. I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's and but I really, you know, I really like that advice around you know developing you know good relationships with those within the system with you because I do feel like that would actually help you do the best work that you can do, especially when you've got those respectful relationships with 
you know, other people who are also working directly with the clients that you're servicing too. Yeah. And, you know, God forbid anything terrible happen. Who is it that runs to your rescue? You know, yeah. it's not your, it's not your peer psychologists that are going to be, you know, yeah, yeah, pulling you right. out of a dangerous situation. So, um, yeah. I mean, personally, from that perspective, I, I, in, you know, a decade of working in jails, including maximum security and high security jails, I've never had a situation um, where my personal safety has been, um, I guess, compromised or threatened yeah. in that way. And it's very unusual for that to happen. Um, mm. I should probably say that up front. I don't want it to sound like a scary environment. Yeah, However, yeah, yeah. But you do rely on, on prison officers um, for maintaining the security of, of the environment. And, you know, y- your safety is somewhat reliant on them. So it's important to be respectful. Mm. And, um, you know, I really, I really like that, you know, reflection on being sort of aware of your boundaries and sort of your own limits, um, especially when you're interacting with, you know, your clients who might be asking personal questions or who might be pushing those um, boundaries. And I'm also interested in, you know, how, you know, your biggest learnings as a therapist in, you know, these correction settings and how that has affected the way you practice now. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one to ask. I'm just trying to reflect and try and think of maybe an yeah, example that might question. highlight that. Um, yeah. I had a great wake-up call once, actually, working with... Um, I was working in a really unique environment at the time. It's the, the one I mentioned earlier, the Close Supervision Centre. We were running a, a violence reduction programme, mm. um, and it was actually it was going to be a 12 month program and basically something that was a bit like a therapeutic community setting. So all the staff, including the prison officers, everybody who worked in that environment were all trained um, in the ethos of the program. Um, it was um, Some um, prison officers were involved in actually delivering the therapy with us as well. Um, it was just, it was a really um, innovative project we were working on. On, and it was only going to be four clients that would be involved in that that program. Um, they were very, very high risk clients with very high needs. Um, and it was getting towards kind of D-Day where we were meant to be starting the program. And mm. we were still not entirely clear which clients would be joining the program. And I do remember um I one of my clients so I'd been doing individual therapy with this client and he was supposed to be um, joining the program but he was kind of getting cold feet he was unsure if he wanted to commit to it and uh, it was a Friday afternoon and I knew we needed to start soon and late in the afternoon and um, we'd been going through this you know for this was like the 10th time we were going through the benefits of this and I think I was getting frustrated mm-hmm. um that you know that he had seemed, seemed like he was ready to go and then pulled back and anyway so yeah. tiring high pressure yeah end of the week and I said to him look at the end of the day it really doesn't make a difference to me whether you go on this program or not and it was just my exasperation that that kind of made me say that and my it's been one of the biggest learning for me that really stuck in my mind and he turned around to me looked me straight in the face he said Caroline at the end of the day I really don't care if you walk out of here and get hit by a bus today and it was just really interesting that um I just made me it just made me stop in my tracks and think you know I I was not listening to him 
sufficiently in his concerns um, in terms of the program. I wasn't, you know, really uh, tuning into him. Uh, and I just, I just really actually appreciated his bluntness in that situation. Yeah. And it really just made me think. And I think, you know, that was quite early in my career. And that was just a real, real, um, yeah, learning curve in terms of how you just need to listen listen to your mm. clients and react to what's going on for them and never discount something as not really a concern um, mm. or feel like, well, we've gone through this a million times, not to let your frustration get in the way. So yeah, that's, uh, that's one that I can always remind, reminds me of just, yeah. yeah, how to listen and, and how to be responsive and, you know, really use your skills that you're taught to use right from the start and, and yeah. not let them slip. Yeah, what a blunt but good lesson in terms of, yeah, those those really basic skills that sometimes we just, mm. you know, lose track of, you know, because we're focused on, you know, yeah, other things or we're getting caught up in our own thinking or our own feelings. But just to, yeah, be responsive and really just understand where your client is coming from, I think is, yeah, definitely a good lesson, which we all sometimes just forget you know, for Ooh. whatever reason, but really good to just be reminded that, that, you know, those really core skills, if we can just focus on those, then we will go quite far with our clients. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm curious about, you know, what, you know, I, I've noticed, you know, in your, you know, career progression that you've done, you know, those various things. So you've worked in treatment delivery, you've worked in supervision, you've worked in managerial roles. Mm. And, you know, from all of that, what do you think are some skills that are important to develop so that you have a successful career as a psychologist working in a correction system? Oh, yeah, wow. Um, I think knowing your knowing your stuff is important. You need to know <laughs> your stuff. Like you should never be at a point where you you think you've you got it and you don't need to keep learning so mm. always keep, yeah always keeping up with um new research and new developments so um you you know where you, what you're talking about um you know you're never, never using bs because i think that environment in particular uh, people can just see straight through when yeah. you're when you're trying to bluff your way through. People can see through it. You know, these are often people who are champion bluffers themselves. So I think, yeah, knowing knowing your stuff is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, like we just touched on, some of those really um, core basic skills of um, you know active listening. Um, yeah. You know, always trying to put yourself um, in in other people's shoes, uh, particularly you know, in a, in a custodial environment where, you know, things that might not seem important in everyday life are really important in there because there's, you know, there's all sorts of power imbalances and, and things going on that just make it a very different uh, place to be. So I think, yeah. yeah, always trying to take on other people's points of view and, and listen to their perspectives. Um, maintaining empathy. Mm. I think is super important. Um, it's really easy to become uh, desensitized to the environment you're in and forget um, forget about what's normal and what isn't normal um, because it is such an abnormal place. So 
um, yeah, I think that's important. Um, not coming across as a Noel. <laughs> I think, yeah. um, I think, I don't know where it comes from specifically, but I feel like psychologists have a bad name within um, custodial environments for or kind of going in and preaching. Whereas actually I, I can't really think of any psychologists I know that do that, but it seems yeah. to be how we're could, for some reason, this, you know, this, um, stereotype that can be applied to us so I think um it's important not to come across that and, and that's uh, come across like that and that's um uh, it goes back to the, the active listening and being responsive to to what's in front of you um so yeah the constant learning looking seeking out new challenges I think that would serve you well in a custodial environment um being open to new experiences so even things that perhaps don't make you feel super comfortable um I think if you're open to new experiences you can go far so um I would say uh, I was never really a natural kind of public speaker and so initially just delivering programs to groups was somewhat of a challenge um and then over time you know I've really uh, just kept embracing things that made me feel a bit awkward so you know I spent years training people uh, to deliver programs whereas at the start of my career the idea of getting up in front of a, a group of uh, colleagues yes. and trying to train them in something would have been you know torture so it, by the time I started that role I wasn't super comfortable with it but yeah. I just you know kept trying to embrace to do things slightly outside my comfort zone and I think um, I think that does serve you well in terms of um, pro career progression. Mm. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, that makes complete sense to me where, when you go out of your comfort zone, that's, I think that's the space where you do grow yeah. because you're doing things that you're not used to doing. And so that's exactly where you develop. Absolutely. And, yeah. and learning from mistakes, not being afraid to make mistakes as long as, you know, they're not dangerous or catastrophic mistakes and don't yeah. cause anybody any harm. Um, it's, you know, it's okay to make mistakes and then reflect on them in supervision and learn from them you know you're not going to be perfect at this when you start out you've got steep learning curve um, and I think it's about being kind to yourself um, and I'd say the final thing actually that keeps you um, I guess functioning as a custodial psychologist is you need to um, engage in self-care um, oh, yes and that's so important because it is a unique environment and it can it can really wear you down at times. Um, mm. Other times, you know, it can feel super rewarding, but at times it can wear you down and ensuring that you're maintaining good self-care, being really mindful of how you're traveling and not being afraid to um, identify when you can't do specific things. I can think of times where I've um, said I can't work with particular clients because it, you know, for whatever reason, that's just not, it's not, working for me at that time I've changed yeah. jobs because I've needed a break from something and there's yeah. not been the you know not been the capacity to provide me that break so I've actually changed jobs um, because I recognized in myself that I was not you know where I was going wasn't good for me as a, as a psychologist or an individual um, mm -hmm. so I think I think that's important as well self-care yeah yeah I and I you know I completely agree with that especially as, you know, someone who's trying to become a forensic psychologist. I think self-care is something we are notoriously bad at to begin with. Mm. But then once, I think once you sort of get to thinking that self-care is the most caring thing you can do for yourself and for your clients, mm. it becomes that much easier, especially when you think of it like that. 
Yeah, absolutely. For yourself, for your clients, but also everyone around you, you know, your yeah, family. Yeah. If we're if we are you know not taking care of ourselves, I think it becomes it leaks out in all sorts of different exactly. ways. Exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 And um, you know, you know, this is sort of a question. This is the last question, um, in terms of and I like to ask this of everyone that I at least do podcasts with. Mm. But what advice would you give to someone like me or you know? students who are starting out in the profession or training to become a forensic psychologist you know any sort of parting advice wow you would like to give us words of wisdom goodness um gosh do I feel qualified to give words of wisdom um (laughs) no I I think um uh, look just I think embrace opportunities keep learning um yeah and learn from colleagues learn from learn from um, people from different um, different disciplines and learn from your clients most importantly mm. um, remain open and that will that will do you well um, look after yourself um, and don't ever take you know for granted what we do I think we offer something unique but I think people are also um, unique for accepting us um, and mm. embracing what we do it's well you know we we go into a session and we might feel anxious but you can be sure the person receiving the session is pretty feeling pretty anxious too and um it's our job to to make sure um you know we we do the best we can possibly do by that person um whether it's Mm -hmm. a, a therapy session you know a risk assessment um whatever it is it's our job to do it to do it well and do the best we can do Mm. Those are definitely wise words. <laughs> definitely. Thank, thank you so much, Caroline. I'm sure everyone who listens to this is going to find it really, really useful. And so we're very appreciative of you actually taking the time out of what would be a very busy schedule to actually talk to us about what it's been like working in correction settings. So thank you so much for that. Oh, thank you, Mary. I really appreciate being asked to uh, contribute to this. Thank you. And that concludes episode five of Forensic Minds. Thank you so much for listening and a big thank you to Caroline for being so generous with her time and coming to speak to us today. I'm sure many of us have found that incredibly valuable. Thank you so much, Caroline, and join us next time for episode six of Forensic Minds.